Turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start here this morning. We'll be looking at a number of passages as we did last week. Last week we looked at the title, See for Yourself. Have you seen for yourself? Uh, We looked throughout a number of examples uh, when it pertains to Christ. Come and see for yourself. And if you've been born again, you've had to have seen for yourself. You had to have seen Jesus. You had to have seen him in the word. You had to have seen your sin. You had to have seen your need for the Savior and repented and called upon the name of the Lord. But too often when we come to this aspect of salvation, that we look at it from the standpoint of, well, once I know that I'm a sinner and and once I've repented, once I've gotten saved, um, then everything's good to go and and the Lord understands I'm not a perfect person and and there's going to be things in my life that um, he understands and accepts and and we're going to move on. And we fail to see the whole big picture of what he's called us to be what he's commanded us to be in his family, in the body. And so today I want us to look at the aspect of establishing the center of attention. You know what that is, right? The center of attention. I mean, uh, many people at different stages of life or different stages of activity desire to be the center of attention you know who's natural at it babies i mean you bring a newborn baby into a room and they are automatic especially with ladies they are automatically the center of attention they don't have to say they can be sleeping not making a sound but you bring that carrier in, you bring that little car seat thing in, and, and automatically, oh, is there a baby? Oh, oh Gucci Goo, and you know, oh, it's holding my finger, and, oh, and then the baby's like, what are you doing? You got something, you can change my diaper, you got something for me to drink, I'm good. The center of attention. You know, as kids, will do crazy things trying to, I mean, you come here to a Wednesday night on Awana, and you will see and hear a large amount of young people that are doing everything within their vocal power, everything within their physical ability to make certain that everybody else is noticing them. You'll, I, I can't believe how loud some of these kids can scream on the playground. I, I would hurt myself if I did it. And, and they'll run around and they're trying to get the attention of everybody else. And, you know, us adults, though, you know, how many people say they don't want to be the center of attention, but yet our actions belie the truth that, well, we really do want to be noticed. I mean, we don't want to be noticed, but we want to be noticed. Uh, you know, why do we do the things that we do to get ready to go out into public well we don't want to be noticed but at the same time we want to be noticed for the right things not the wrong things we want to be at the core of who we are uh, the core of our human uh, understanding the the core of uh, of our humanity desires to be 
the center of attention. Well, and that's what brings us here to, uh, to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, um, you know, Jesus here, he's been dealing with uh, Simon, uh, dealing with uh, the Pharisees, dealing with leaven. And in verse 21, he says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus had told uh, Thomas, he said, you know, you believe because you've seen. He says, blessed are they who have not seen and yet will believe. And then we come to that point where we've believed. And we profess to be disciples. We profess to be Christians. We profess to be followers of him. And he gives us clear instructions of what that's to look like. You know, Peter thought he knew better than Jesus and he vowed to protect him. Oh, no, Lord, we'll not let that happen to you. Oh, no, Lord, we'll not let him do that to you. Oh, no, Lord, this is the way it's going to be. And Jesus reply, back up, satanic stumbling block. That's, in essence, what he's saying. Back up. You're, you're, you're talking like Satan now. And you're being a stumbling block in trying to get him to do what he came to do. Being a stumbling block of, of trying to prohibit me from doing the will of God. Back up, satanic stumbling block. He's saying, you don't think, you're not thinking God's way. You're still thinking man's way. You're not thinking of the ways that, that God intends to do this. You're still thinking from man's human perspective. And then he gives these requirements uh, for his uh, disciples. He says in verse 24, he says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying one of the requirements is if you're going to follow me, you must disown yourself. Disown yourself and all the rights that go with it. Because that is, first and foremost, how we think. First and foremost, how we feel. First and foremost, who's at the center of attention of this life is self. And we must disown self. Must die to self. The, the cross, the means of death. Not just disown self, but die to self. That you're dying to the, the, the desires the wants, the whims, the wishes of self, and you must take up your cross. You must be purposefully determining. You know, Jesus, as he was being led to uh, the hill, as he was to bear the cross himself and then physically could no longer do it and, until they brought the one in to carry it the rest of the way, but he willingly... Uh, look at the picture 
the, not just the Easter story, but the picture of the crucifixion. Jesus went willingly. He surrendered and submitted willingly. And, and he continually told his disciples, I must be about my father's business. Why? For your benefit. For your help. For our deliverance. And he gives this expectation that we must disown self if we're going to follow him. We must die to self. And when he says to follow, it's the idea to focus on Jesus. You know what the picture is? That you're on the same path he's on. That you are following, focusing on him. You know, as you go hiking in the mountains, and if you happen to be on a trail and not bushwhacking, which sometimes we do that spiritually as well, but you're on a trail, and, and typically the trails are pretty narrow, and, and, there's, and you're usually in a single file line, and, and one person is leading, and wherever that person goes on that trail, you're following. And that is the picture that Jesus is saying to follow, to focus on him. And as we are following him, he goes on in verse 25, and he says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So he's saying, whoever tries to protect, protect and preserve his own life will perish. And that's what our flesh desires to do. Our flesh's focus is on protecting and preserving. Protecting and preserving my way of life. Protecting and preserving what pleases me. Protecting and preserving what is reasonable to me. Protecting and preserving me, me, me. But he says, whosoever destroys his life in Jesus will obtain life, eternal life, eternal deliverance. And this is one of, you know, we look at all the mysteries of Scripture, you know, as Duke is, is going through eschatology in Sunday school class. And if you haven't been coming to Sunday school, I highly encourage you to come. A, a great study. And it's going to be going on for some time. And, and I encourage you to be here. And, and, and going through here, and a lot of the things with eschatology is the mystery. The mystery that he's revealed for us. But, you know, I think one of the greatest mysteries that we face is this mystery of dying to self, this mystery of overcoming. Because our flesh is so powerful that we manifest all the reasons for why we do what we do, even though it may be contrary to Scripture, even though it may be contrary to the, to the Word of God, even though it may be contrary uh, to, to the teaching. But we come up with these strong, bold reasons and excuses in reality. And so in reality, what Jesus is saying here, he said, you know, if you've come and seen, you've come and believed, well, now the next expectation is, is that he is to be the center of attention. Now, you think about that statement. If when you hear that statement, isn't there a part in the back of your brain that goes, that's so selfish? <laughs> Who, I mean, be, why? 
because the back of our brain is still thinking humanly. And when somebody says, I must be the center of attention, you know, when somebody tells you that, hey, I, I, want, this to be, yeah, I want this to be all about me. I want this to be all about, you know, this is my day, this is my way, this is my thing. And in the back of our brain, we go, well, that's selfish. And so our human reasoning, when we hear Jesus, who is saying, I must be the center of attention, I must be the focus, not in a human way, but biblically, truthfully, expectantly, our reasoning starts to pop up and say, oh, that's... That's not, that's not a loving God. Oh, that's not a loving way. Oh, that's not a sacrificial way. When it is. Because as we focus on the creator of the universe, as we focus on the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, as we focus on the one who has redeemed us, the one who shed blood was the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin, and we've been bought with that price. And he, with that, he says, this is the expectation for you to follow. So what is not to be the center of attention? And this is not going to be exhaustive. I tried to put this in a, in a few categories. We'll go through this uh, fairly quickly. Uh, but go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I, I want us to get a view of too often what is, has been, sometimes continues to be at the center of our attention. 2 Timothy chapter 3, of course, you know, we know in the last days perilous times shall come. Um, well, I'll, I'll, let's read them from the beginning. This know that also in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. What is not to be the center of attention? Fun is not to be the center of attention. When he says there, um, he says lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Fond of, the idea is, fond of pleasure greater than fondness of God. Now, so here, here's, here's a picture. We're sitting in church, and we're the, we've got our Bibles open sitting on our lap. Uh, maybe the, the choir is singing, the men's quartet is singing, a special is going on, the word is being read, and our thoughts go to... I wonder if my team's winning. Our thoughts go to uh, the big activity that's coming up in the afternoon. Our thoughts go to uh, this thing that's coming up tonight. Our thoughts go to uh, this, this fun endeavor that I have planned for this afternoon or tomorrow or this week. Or, or the kids are like, oh, Christmas is coming. I wonder what I'm going to get for Christmas. And we start to think about things that are pleasing to me. That is a fondness. For pleasure that is greater than a fondness for God. It's not just referring to uh, our daily lives, which it also refers to, 
that our focus is more on what's pleasing to me and enjoyable to me that makes me feel better. You know, it's, um, you know, as we, what is it, the um, March Madness. When the NCAA basketball tournament is taking place and, and, they, and people fill out their brackets, they said that, especially in this day and age with internet and all these things, that during March Madness is one of the, I forget how many thousands of days worth of work and how many millions of dollars worth of productivity that it costs employers. Why? Because people are now, you can watch it on your pads, your phones, and everything else, and they're glued to what's going on because they've got a bracket and they want their team to win, and we become unproductive. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But, and, you know, notice today how many sports and pleasurable things are scheduled on Sundays. Are scheduled at the same, you know, there was a day, and many of you are old enough to remember, when most everything was closed on Sundays. You remember the day when you couldn't sell alcohol on Sundays. You remember the day when uh, there was very few things that you could do on Sundays because society was still influenced by spiritual things. And now we live in a day that not only are things done away with so that folks can focus on Sundays, but now things are scheduled there. And humans have a choice. We have a choice to make. Am I going to choose this day of worship for God or am I going to give a token of, okay, well, at least I got got this part in, but I got this other part in as well. God has not changed. God's purpose and focus has not changed. His still expectation is that he is the center of attention. You know, notice how easy it is today to have entertainment at our fingertips it's amazing of course i can't figure it out i wanted to you know i wanted to watch an iowa hawkeye football game and i i i i hear all the stuff about you can watch it on the internet no i mean yeah if you pay for it that's that's not watching on the internet if you got to pay for it i mean that's that's like buying tv no that's that's different so no, I, I guess I can't have it at my fingertips if it's going to cost them. But you can have everything now. People are, you know, you can communicate with your friends. I remember when I was first teaching that class and um, uh, when I was, I was doing a, an adjunct class at Pillsbury uh, Baptist Bible College up in, up in Minnesota. They're closed now. Uh, I was there the last two years. I apologize to all the alumni. I shut them down. Uh, but I, I was there, and, and I remember the first time I went into that class, and, and, and there's about 30 students in there. It was a, it was a pre-class before, classes a week before, and, and, and they're all in there with their phones. And, and, and I asked, because I had never texted. Well, maybe I started, because I told, I told my kids, I said, when, when texting came available, I said, if you need more than a yes or no answer, call me. Uh, and one, 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 two, two, two. No. And, and so I said, No. And they're all, I said, what's the benefit of texting versus calling? They said, oh, well, because you can text at times when you can't talk to them on the phone. I said, oh, you mean like sitting in class? Yeah. 
But, but look at all the things that we can do. My, my father-in-law always talks about, you know, over, I mean, we're talking Malaysia, a place controlled by uh, the Muslims. And he said, they're always on their handphones. They're always on their handphones. They're playing games and talking and communicating, everything else. He said, it's such a distraction. Why? Because it's fun. And if I'm not intrigued, if my attention span is, has gone through its 35 seconds that I'm used to, well, I need something else to entertain me, to keep my focus. And it becomes the center of attention. When pleasure consumes our thoughts, takes over our schedules, pushes God out of his rightful place, Sundays and others, and our focus and, and, and it consumes our focus, then pleasure has become the center of our attention. Fun is not to be the center of attention. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou, put, uh, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast uh, attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. You know what's not to be the center of attention? Fitness. Health. Our body. He says here, they teach to abstain from meats. They teach, he says, to refuse old wives' fables and to not focus on bodily exercise. It's all dealing with the physicality. The old wives' fables is dealing with, you know, all the things that are going to make you better, going to make you healthier, and on and on and on. We live in a day of diet fads, of living longer, Remedies, organic, natural, non-this, non-that, healthy this, healthy that, no medicine, no doctor, certain doctors, uh, on and on and on. We have a variety of ways to uh, exercise. You can go to uh, exercise places now 24-7, which I think is fine. You can, you can have all kinds of, of new fads and new things, but in verse 7, he says, refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He's saying the, the focus of our, of our center of our attention must not be of this shell trying to live forever because this shell will not live forever. 
And how many have become consumed today? And I'm not saying, you know, go, go the other way. But it becomes consuming. And, and, and all the, the healthiest things in the world, it becomes consuming. And all the exercise programs in the world, it becomes consuming. And all the, the different titles and things that we're going to... I'll spend twice as much money for this because it has that title than this does because this is going to help me live an extra 32 and a half days. This shall. He's saying this body cannot, must not be the center of attention. You know... When it comes to our health, we will spend so much time trying to become healthy again, so much time and resources uh, trying to make every ounce of our physicality better again, and yet we fail to focus on the creator of it all. We fail to focus on the one who created every cell of this organism. And we fail to focus on what he expects to be our center of attention. He says there in verse 8, bodily exercise profits little. It does profit, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You want to have profitability? Physical profitability? Godliness. Genuine profitability for life, godliness. This body's going to fail. <laughs> All of us can attest. Some better than others. Things are going to fail. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is what Jesus calls and expects us to do. And I, we should be trying to be healthy because when we're healthy and feeling good, we can focus better and do more. The problem is, is that too often we feel better and we can focus better, but we focus better on the wrong things and we do more of the non-beneficial things. And then what is the point of it all is what he's saying. Because with contentment, there, there's going to be profitability. Godliness, though, is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What is at the center of our attention? As believers, and I believe that the vast majority in this room would profess and say that you're a born-again believer. I, I don't know for sure, everybody. You know, Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And every one of us have to make that determination. But genuine, born-again believers, the responsibility is to die to this self. The responsibility is to no longer this and this be the center of my focus, the center of my world, the center of my attention, but rather Christ is. Godliness. How many people are living in hopelessness? How many people are living in emptiness 
How, how many people are, are putting on uh, facades uh, of Christianity because they refuse to make Christ the center of attention? So, <clears throat> fun is not to be the center. Fitness, our health, and all those things, all things we should take care of. But it must not be the consuming idol of our attention. Go to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, I'm assuming right proudly, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that, he was very sorrowful. He said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They that heard it said, Who then can be saved? He said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. What's not to be the center of our attention? Finances and all that pertains to it. Again, finances are not evil. Things that make finances are not evil. But when that is the center of my life, when that is the center, the focus of my attention, and God's not, then it is wrong. We're told we cannot serve God and mammon. Here the, the rich ruler, he focused on the Ten Commandments. He said, I've done it. Good. He says, but I'm not willing to surrender everything to the commander. I'll surrender to those Ten Commandments but I'm not willing to surrender everything to the commander. The one who commands me to give up all for him. The one who commands me that my focus is on him and not on the things. When my focus is on the things, my focus cannot be on Jesus. When my focus is on that which makes the things, my focus cannot be on Jesus. It's two different paths. Treasure on earth meant more than treasure in heaven. Why? Well, because we can see treasure on earth. I mean, that makes sense to us. You know, there's some sins in life that don't make sense because that's not a struggle for me. But there's other sins that, that make sense because that's a struggle for me. Well, treasure on earth makes sense because that's part of the economy. That's part of accomplishing the things I want to accomplish. That's part of getting done the things that I desire to get done. That's part of living in a manner that I desire to live. But treasure in heaven, I mean, it's, 
I know it's real. I believe it's real, but I can't see how that's manifested. I can't see how that's going to help me. You know, you know, I think one of the proof texts for when we see where our focus is, what's at the center of our attention, when we talk about heaven, about what it's going to be. You know, when I hear people say, I'm going to have the perfect golf game in heaven. Is that making Jesus the center of attention or me and my pleasure the center of attention? You see, when we make comments like that, we belie the fact of really what's at the center of our attention. Because I desire to do better on this earth in something that I enjoy, and so heaven's that perfect place, so whatever I desire to do and to be here is going to be more perfect in heaven, and I'm going to enjoy that, but that's wrong. That's not what heaven's about. Treasure in heaven is what's eternal. And he tells us how to attain that treasure in heaven, that which is done for Christ, that which is done to please and honor and glorify him, that which is done in obedience to him. No, when when things, when stuff, riches, valuables, the jobs and the investments and all that surrounds that bring them in are the center of attention. He's saying about this rich ruler, he wasn't one of his. When the focus was on that stuff and he was unwilling to give up that stuff, Jesus is saying he wasn't entering into heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven because he refuses to give up his stuff and make Jesus the center of attention. You know, sometimes it's our stuff, our desire, our longing for it. Sometimes it's our desire for a position, a place, a thing that we think will be fulfilling. I think a relationship is going to be fulfilling. A certain job is going to be fulfilling. A certain church, a certain community, a certain this. If I have kids, if I don't have kids, if I have grandkids, if I don't have grandkids, if I do this or I do that, that's going to be fulfilling. And when those are our focus, Jesus is not. And that's what he's saying. There's a high expectation in the body of Christ. A high expectation that is outlined for us in Scripture. A high expectation that he makes it clear that we are to be doers and followers of. And it's not fun. It's not fitness. It's not finances. And then last, go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Then said Jesus unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make an excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. 
I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What else cannot be the center of our attention? Family. Now that's pretty severe. We love our families. I still miss my mom. I still grieve when my dad left when I was a boy over 40 years ago. Still grieve over it when I think about it. I still grieve, almost grieve over the couple times when I have come close to watching one of my children die in front of me. I almost watched Jenna drown in a pool down at Louisiana. I almost watched Julia get hit by a vehicle as she was crossing the road in front of the truck with me a few years ago. And several things, and, and, and I said, I just can't imagine what that'd be like. But when he says to hate, it doesn't mean to hate them in the human term. It means to love less. Love less. Do you love God more than any human being? Oh, we can do lip service and say it. But you know what belies the truth? Our actions. Do we put our families ahead of God? Do we put their wants, their wishes, their ways, their desires ahead of God? How many good people put family ahead of God? When we put family ahead of God... What our parents say and do is more powerful than what God says. What our spouses say and do is more powerful than what God says. What our kids want or what parents want for kids is more powerful than what God says. What the opportunities that are available, after all, uh, because I love this person, I want this, uh, this thing to be available to them, even though it is hindering their growth with God. Even though it is putting them ahead of God. Even though it is putting family activity, family priorities ahead of God's priorities. When that happens... Jesus is not the center of attention. Jesus is not the focus. And he's called us. He's made it clear that we are to love 
others less. What are the two commandments? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But nothing, no one, is to be loved and to be put in a place above and beyond God. You know, some of us, we fear our family, our bosses, our acceptance of others. We fear missing out on something more than we fear God, more than we love God. We hate to disappoint somebody else, and so we're willing to disappoint God so that we don't disappoint somebody else. We hate to discourage somebody else, and so we're willing to go against what God says so that we don't discourage somebody else. And that is not putting Jesus at the center of attention. You know, yesterday, embarrass him, but Mark Tank and I were talking yesterday, and he says he was having a conversation, and somebody told him, uh, You talk about God too much. Some of us, we haven't said that. But we've thought it. Some of us have thought that people have an unbalanced life because there's too much involvement in this religious stuff. There's too much involvement in church. There's too much involvement in helping others. Don't you? I mean, life is busy and important and all these other things. Don't you know? And we can still be busy about all those things. But Jesus must be the center of attention. James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich man, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you, kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered in the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The one who is commanded and expected to be the center of attention has given us the promise that he will return, has given us the promise that we will all stand before him. And the expectation is that we are all going to give an account of this life, which he already knows but we're going to stand face to face. And we're going to give him all the reasons and excuses of, of all the things that I thought were so important and much more important than him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, coming out of the hall of faith in chapter 11... 
Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint, faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. The chastening and the rebuking of the Lord. Why? Because he yearns, commands, demands, desires to be the center of our focus. The center of our attention. The center of our life. All those other things are okay. But Christ must be the center. Christ must be the preeminence. The focusing on him and his way, his love, his purposes. He demands to be the center of attention. And when we put anything else, it's an idol. And it's an evaluation that each and every one of us must have to determine for ourselves. Then go back to Matthew chapter 16 where we started. Matthew chapter 16. We read through 25 and verse 26. He says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. That day is yet to come. And the things that we count humanly as gain. Christ said, those things that I count as gain, I suffer loss. I, I strive for the excellency of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and keeping him at the center the focus of my attention it's an ongoing battle it's a consistent thing you know we might get victory in one area and say I've got this settled and and I'm so thankful for what Jesus is doing and, and I've got these things ironed out but then another thing rears its head up and tries to draw our focus and attention away so that we're not following him as we're following down. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is establishing the path. And he says, follow me, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then suddenly we're drawn away and enticed of our own lust towards something else. And then that something else is the center of my attention. That something else keeps me from following 
That something else keeps the light of his word from illuminating my path and my feet so that I'm, I'm not tripping over the stumbling blocks that the enemy is putting in my way. And I'm rendered useless in his service and in his economy and in his family, and I'm found to be disobedient rather than obedient. It's not about the, the picture and the image that we put on the outside. It's the focus that we have internally that will manifest itself in our lives, in our walk, in our relationships, in our focus, and how we do what we do. And we will never, ever, for eternity, regret making the hard decisions of overcoming the sins and the strength of the flesh, overcoming the focus of the flesh, and focusing on His Word and following Him. You'll never regret it. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Come see for yourself and establishing the center of attention. What's the center of your attention? Where's your focus at? Is it on Christ? Is he preeminent? Are, is, is the word and prayer and Sunday worship and the time with him and, and the fellowship that you have with him, is that more important to you on a daily basis than anything else? And if not, if the Lord is working and chastening, he does that to whom he loves and desires to bring us right back into right fellowship with him. So I hope and pray that we'll do just that. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.